I wanted to say uh, how much I appreciate um, being able to share the Word of God with you over these last weeks, and glad to see Mark back on the mend, and um, hopefully he'll be back up here sharing shortly. So I think I can might say that February 4th, he's going to give it a shot if he's up to it. If not, you'll have to put up with me one more time. So anyway, thank you so much. Um, it's been a privilege to uh, share God's word with you and spend the Christmas season and, and look at God's word together. And um, so I just wanted to thank you for that privilege. We're going to um, try to finish up this two-part series on fear and faith, been looking at out of the uh, Gospel of Mark and then a couple other passages um, that talk about the same uh, events uh, in Matthew and also in um, Luke. Um, we're kind of looking more at Mark. I, I'll mention a couple of times where there's some significant things that um, the other two Gospel writers mentioned about these um, events. So just as an introduction, as we continue, in your bulletin, there's some notes in case you did not get them yet. They're back there on the stool. So we continue our study in um, living with fear or faith. Remember last Sunday, we saw Jesus' power over creation as he stilled a violent storm and even it even frightened the disciples. He asked them, why are you afraid? Why do you still have no faith? Then Jesus stopped the wind and calmed the sea by his command, peace, be still. And last week we looked at it literally is in the Greek, be quiet, be muzzled. We saw Jesus' power over creation made the disciples even more afraid than the storm had and caused them to question Jesus' true identity. This is what they said. Who, is, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were living in fear. The following three events that were to uh, that followed this event were to help them to learn how to live by faith. And so we looked at one of those events last week, and then today we're going to look at the other two. So the first thing that happened after, as you remember, um, after Jesus calmed the sea, they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and we saw Jesus' power over demons, where he cast out a legion of demons. We found a legion of demons of six thousand. Uh, it was in one, uh, one man um, who had been terrorized by them and been under their control. And there was this amazing description of all that had gone on with him. Um, he was living in the tombs. Uh, you remember he was naked. That was one of the things that one of the other gospel writers pointed out. Um, he was crying out day and night and cutting himself with sharp stones. Uh, he was breaking the chains. He had the supernatural power that the demons were giving him. So they, the townspeople were trying to subdue him. They would chain him up. They even had a guard there, um, and he would break those chains. Nobody could control him. Um, so Jesus comes to that side of the shore. He heals him. He casts out the demons out there with some interaction. We looked at that last week. Um, and um, when the townspeople came out after that, the key thing they found was that he was clothed because he'd been running around naked, but that he was in his right mind. And we looked at some things that Satan tries to do to what he did to him, what he does to the unbeliever, and what he does to us as Christians. 
um, and he tries to cause he tries to cause fear in us he tries to cause confusion he tries to get us out of our right mind to not think biblically to not think um, about things like God sees them and so we found that when the townspeople came back into the town came back in and saw this man he was in his right mind well, that's one of the things they said amazingly the townspeople were now more afraid of Jesus power than they were the demon so amazing to me that um, that people are afraid when they see how we see this in the scriptures uh, especially in the gospels how people are afraid when Jesus does a miracle it's amazing how many times that that word phobos in the Greek follows after a miracle that Jesus does people are afraid um, and it shows their unbelief we saw that several times and we'll see that again today um, so amazingly, townspeople were more afraid of Jesus' power than they were the man that when he was demon-possessed. And so they asked Jesus to leave the region. Instead of thanking him for, for um, casting the demons out of this man, they saw how terrorized he was. Um, they want Jesus to leave. They're afraid. Um, so the delivered man, he had the appropriate response, and he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to become a disciple. Remember, Jesus was getting into the boat with the disciples. He was leaving the area. The man, the, the man who'd been, um, the demons have been cast out of him, comes and he wants to be a disciple. He wants to get in the boat with Jesus. Jesus told him, because he was a Gentile, told him, I want you to stay in this region. Remember, we talked about that the region they were in was a Gentile region. Um, I want you to stay here, and I want you to go tell your people, uh, the other Gentiles, I want you to tell your people what, what, what the Lord has done for you. And so he did that. That's exactly what he did. And everybody who heard him was amazed. And we see that in verse 20. He didn't fear the assignment that Jesus had given him, but he walked in obedience and faith. And so the things that we discovered last week that help us to live um, by faith and not in fear were these things. We, we mentioned these last week, believing in God's promises. Remember I mentioned to you that when Jesus um, told the disciples, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, he didn't say we're going to stop in the middle and drown or we're going to sink in the middle. No, he said we're going to the other side. And so they shouldn't have feared because that was his promise. So we need to believe God's promises. We need to ex acknowledge God's presence. Jesus was right in the boat with the disciples he's with us all the time as believers as his children we need to understand that god knows our situation remember the disciples said do you not care jesus that we're perishing they woke him up because he was sleeping in the boat do you not care that we're perishing we need to realize that god cares for us we need to rely on god's power we need to trust in god's timing and we need to obviously obey god's word so then the next two events that we see um, in Mark, um, is on, I, put, I said it's on Jesus' teaching schedule because that's how he does things. He wants to teach the disciples and us. Um, here are some examples of how to live, um, not in fear, but in faith. So these next two um, teaching assignments that he's going to give the disciples and he's going to show them through these events um, are intertwined together in a moving, both physically and emotionally, uh, sequence of circumstances. So if you have your Bible, once you turn to Mark chapter 5, we want to just read this passage so you can kind of get the feel of it, um, and then we'll look at it a little bit closer. Then I also put on your notes, if you want to look at it later, um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26, and Luke 8, and these are also... Um, 
uh, pictures of what happened by these other gospel writers. They write on these same events. They give a little bit different view, like we talked about um, last week. Um, they're all eyewitnesses, or they got eyewitnesses' accounts. Um, but there's a little bit different perspective that gives us a greater uh, perspective on the whole event with all the gospel writers. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21 when Jesus had crossed over again, so he's leaving um, the area where he just healed the man with the demons, cast them out, and now he's coming over to the other side of the lake. When Jesus crossed over again um, in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials, Jairus, came up and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she'd been healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had proceeded from him, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your afflictions. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue officials, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he, and he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And he entered in and said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said, Talitham, come, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. So we see these two events that are kind of intermixed. I mean, Jesus is going over to the Jairus' home. He's going to, to heal his daughter. And right in the middle of that, we have this commotion, we have this, 
lady that comes in, she's sick, she's had this issue of blood for 12 years, and so right in the middle of that, and then we go on with the rest of this story. So let's look at Jesus' power over sickness and death. So what I did for you is I just put in kind of some points that we're going to look at just to remind you, there's always a flow in a passage. There's always a purpose of, for the writers. As they write, there's a system, there's a flow. There's some points that, that uh, God wants us to understand and to know. So I tried to pick some of those out. So as we go along, those will um, come to your mind. So Jesus returns um, to the, uh, in the boat to Capernaum. Obviously, we read that. You see what happened. He had to stay on the side of the shore because there were so many people. The other gospel writers tell us that um, they recognized the boat because they had been there. It sounds like they probably had stayed or they had been in that area. They heard Jesus was coming back. They saw the boat. They could see the boat, obviously, in the distance. They came back to the shore. And so when Jesus comes, he gets out, and there's so many people there, he can't, he can't move forward. Oh, he's right next to the shore. That's what the, um, that's what the scripture here says. And then the synagogue official, Jairus, um, he comes and um, he comes and he, he basically throws himself down at Jesus' feet. So we see the synagogue, the synagogue official's faith here. Um, Jairus was um, an official of the synagogue in Capernaum, and that was kind of that become Jesus. Um, place where he did most of his ministry that was kind of his ministry headquarters um, and so obviously Jairus had heard and probably even seen some things that Jesus had done Jesus had healed some people within the synagogue where Jairus was um, an official um, and though Jairus wasn't a Pharisee the people in the town would recognize him as um, an official leader um, of Judaism because he had a prominent part um, in the synagogue and so I'm sure it surprised them when he came through the crowd and then threw himself down at the feet of Jesus obviously that shows us that he believed who Jesus was and believed that Jesus could help his daughter um, it says that he actually begged Jesus to lay his hands on and heal his daughter that's in Luke chapter 8 and and it's it's amazing the detail that they give us here um, in fact, a couple different of the writers give us that she was 12 years old. And that's an important point. Um, it's really interesting that in Matthew, the word that he uses when um, Jairus fell down at, at Jesus' feet, it's actually the word used for worship. And so you can see that Jairus had faith more than just that Jesus could heal. Um, but I believe from this text that Jairus actually became an Old Testament saint. He actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he could heal his daughter. Um, on the third one, um, right in the middle of this, when this is going on, Jesus now starts to go forward. He starts to move towards um, Jairus' home. We don't know how what the distance was. We don't know how far away it was. Um, but people were pressing him. So you can imagine, you can picture in your mind, um, if you've been to a football stadium or a baseball stadium, or you've been to a crowded place, and you're trying to make your way through. Maybe you're going in a different direction than some of them. Maybe we're all going in the same direction. But you're trying to squeeze through. People are bumping into each other and running into each other. That's exactly what was happening here. And, and people obviously wanted to try to be close to Jesus. They wanted to hear what he was saying. or They wanted to be close. Uh, and so the text says, it's really interesting, that 
people were bumping into Jesus. They were running into him. Obviously, they weren't doing it on purpose, but they were being jostled about. So I want you to remember that. So in the midst of all that, as they're moving forward, a woman that's been in the crowd, um, she comes up behind Jesus. Um, she kneels down, and she touches the cloak of his garment. So the outer part, um, usually in, in Jesus' time, they had an inner garment, and then they would have an outer garment. And uh, you can remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He took off that outer garment, his cloak, and then the inner garment that he had, he, he tied that up so that he could serve. And so he could get down on his hands and knees, he could wash the disciples' feet. So they had this outer garment, the cloak. And this woman, she thought, if I could just touch his cloak, if I could just touch the outer garment, I know I would be healed. Again, that shows her faith. And I think it also shows, and we're going to see it a little bit more, it also shows that she was a believer, that she believed that Jesus was who he was saying that he was, that he was the Messiah. Both of these, both Jairus and this woman, had uh, probably the woman, it doesn't say in, in any of the scriptures that she actually saw anyone else healed, but she'd heard about all the healings. Jairus had actually seen several people healed um, in the synagogue, and then I'm sure, because he was a prominent official in Capernaum, I'm sure that he'd heard about the other healings that had gone on. So, the woman is rewarded with her faith. First, let's just kind of look at um, when you compare these two uh, individuals, Jairus and the woman, we can see some things about them. Jairus was probably wealthy. The woman, she was probably poor. It says in the text that she'd spent all of her money on doctors. Not only was she not helped, but she actually had gotten worse. Jairus was well known in Capernaum. He was an official in the synagogue. The woman was probably unknown. The man had spent 12 years of joy with his daughter. His daughter was 12 years old. The woman had been bleeding, had this issue of blood for 12 years. She'd been sick with this for 12 years. Jairus was free to worship in the synagogue. The woman could not worship in the synagogue because she was considered unclean. Because she had, under the law, she had this issue of blood and it didn't stop. Um, and so she could not go. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go there to worship. Um, so Jairus was free to worship. The woman was forbidden to worship. Um, both of them, though, had this great need. Jairus had a need for his daughter. She was about to die. One or the other, I think it's Matthew, he actually says that she was dead. So, And I think what happened there was it, was it looked so much like she was going to die that her dad, being away now from her, thought she probably had died by this time. She wasn't doing well. And that was confirmed then by the people who came in this, in this saga here. The people who came and said, why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter has died. The woman's faith is rewarded. As she approached Jesus from behind, squeezing through the crowd, she kept saying to herself, that's what Matthew says. Mark says it this way. She kept thinking, if I just touch his garment, I will be made whole. Literally, it's the Greek word soza, where we get our word for being saved. Again, that's why I believe that she not only believed that Jesus could heal her, but she believed who Jesus was, that, she, that he was the Messiah. So she's trying to be discreet, 
Um, she, she understands that it's not his garments that have the special power. The, the power of Christ is in who he is in his person. It was her faith in Jesus' ability to heal that brought about the miracle. Jesus later said to her, your faith has made you well. And immediately when she touched or grasped hold of it, and it literally means she grasped hold, she grabbed hold, she just didn't touch it with a finger, she grabbed a hold of his garment. She held on, in fact. It means that she grabbed and she held on for a moment. Jesus' garment, her blood flow was dried up and she was healed of her affliction. It's interesting, Jesus knows the different touch. He knew that touch of faith was different than people just bumping into him, people just running into him inadvertently touching him because it was such a big crowd. He knew that there was something different about this touch of faith. Immediately, Jesus knew someone had touched him differently. It says that power proceeded from me. That's, what, that's how Jesus explained it. Now, let me just say this. It didn't just come out and he was unaware of it. That just doesn't happen. Jesus was aware of that. Jesus, with that touch of faith, he allowed that power to go out. To heal that person, to heal that woman. It wasn't like a, some kind of a deal where, oh, I didn't even know that was going to happen. That just would never happen with, with Christ. That would never happen with God. It was a purposeful thing. He knew the purpose that the woman had. He knew that touch of faith. He allowed that power to go from him to heal her. Jesus understands and knows that, that touch of faith. Um, Many people were bumping into him. People were inadvertently pressing in on him is the way that the scripture says it. Literally means to press together. They were just crowded. He was moving forward. They were bumping into him, but this was a different. The power that proceeded from Jesus was a direct response to her touch of faith. Healing power would not just flow from Jesus without his knowledge and will. And then Jesus asked, who touched me? Who grasped my garments? Um was to separate all who had inadvertently touched him because they all denied it. Oh, no, no, I didn't touch you. I didn't touch you. That's what it says. They were all denying it. Luke 8, 45, it says that also. And so he distinguishes the people that had just been kind of bumping into him and inadvertently touching him to this person, this woman who had touched him by faith. Um, the woman knew that... Um, if, he if she touched him, that she would be healed. She believed that. Everyone else was just bumping into Jesus. She touched Jesus with a touch of faith, believing that Jesus could do what no one else could do. And then when he, he pointed her out, she, she knew that he knew who she was. She, she came and threw herself down at, at, her, at his feet. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling. It's interesting, there's our word for fear again, phobos. She, she came trembling and in fear and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all people the reason why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And then Mark says it this way, she told him the whole truth. Jesus calls her daughter. That's a family term. It's interesting, the same word is used of the man's daughter the daughter that needed to be healed. Um, so it's a family term. So as it were, Jesus is including her in his family because he realized that touch of faith was not just for healing, but it was for her salvation also. 
Um, she had been healed physically, but she'd also been healed spiritually. Then we see number seven, uh, Jairus's faith is tested. So right in the middle of all this, right in the middle of this woman being healed and Jesus talking to her and people denying that they had touched him and all that, all of a sudden from Jairus's home, a group of people come and say, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. As Jesus was encouraging the woman, news arrives that Jairus's daughter had died. Um, they said, stop troubling the teacher. Literally, they said, stop troubling. Um, he's unable to help your daughter now because she's dead. Obviously, that shows their unbelief. It's really amazing as you look through this and you read it and you think about it, you can see both sides of this. You see fear and unbelief. You see belief. And even though they're, they're afraid, there's some fear there, you see that their belief continues on. And she was healed from her affliction. So as Jairus is tested, um, Jesus says to him, do not fear, only believe. You can imagine that when the news comes, even though he anticipated that his daughter was going to die, when that news come, it must have broke his heart. And his faith started to, to wane. And Jesus, knowing this, said to him, don't fear. Literally, it's stop fearing, only believe. And Jesus didn't say this to the men or whoever came. It was probably men that came and told him that his daughter had died. He said it only to Jairus. As they continue to Jairus' house, at some point, Jesus dismisses the crowd and takes only three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him into the house with Jairus and his wife. And he says to the paid mourners, because the mourners, they would pay people to come and mourn and weep, and they were loud and they were lamenting. Um, he says to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Jesus is not saying that she hadn't died. Um, being asleep, you see this in the New Testament too, but in the Old Testament, they knew that when someone died, their body was asleep is what they were talking about. Their spirit goes on. Their spirit goes to heaven. Um, but their body is asleep. We've all seen, we've been to a funeral, and if you haven't been to one, you've seen one on TV. We all understand that um, when a person dies, their soul and spirit, that inner part of them, goes on, for the Christian, goes on to be with the Lord. And that body remains here. For the person who's not a believer, who's not a Christian, when they die, their spirit, their inner person, goes to hell. Um, and they're going to be reunited with that physical body just like the believer is going to be. So when you see that body after a person has died, it looks like they're asleep. And that's what Jesus is referring to. He's not saying that she did not die. It was obvious that she died. Um, but she's saying, and it's not in a coma, but he's saying that she's, this is not permanent. This is going to be going to be changed. In the Old Testament, they understood this. Back in Daniel chapter 12, um, and you see this with Mary and Martha when, when Lazarus died. Jesus said that he's the resurrection. They said, yeah, we know that, that, um, that people are going to be raised from the dead after at the judgment. Um, and they were referring to what Daniel said in Daniel 12 too. Um, and so it was common knowledge that um, there was going to be a resurrection. Um, but what Jesus was saying here is she's only asleep and now he's going to wake her up. 
When they heard Jesus, they continually laughed and ridiculed him, showing their unbelief. So the people, the mourners, when Jesus said, she's not, she did, she's not, um, this is not permanent, she's just asleep, they, they were laughing, and that again showed their unbelief. So Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, and after putting them all out, that is the mourners, um, he brought the three disciples and Jairus and his wife where his daughter lay, took her by the hand and said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, that's what the scripture says, immediately she rose up, walked around, and they, her parents, and the three disciples were completely astonished. Jesus gave, told them to give her something to eat and to tell no one how she was healed, the news would spread by itself. So let's look at, again, comparing um, the faith journeys how were these two, Jairus and the woman who had the issue of blood, um, what did their faith journey look like? Number one, Jairus, he came, um, he came out of the crowd and fell at Jesus' feet, right? The woman, she hid in the crowd. Jairus fell at Jesus' feet with his request. The woman kneeled behind Jesus to touch his garment. Um, Jairus spoke his faith out loud. He said, I know that you can heal my daughter. The woman, she spoke her faith inside of herself. She said, I know if I just touch his garment that I will be healed. Um, they both had fear. He had fear before the miracle. Jesus said, fear not. Don't fear. Keep believing. She had fear afterwards. Um, keep believing. He kept believing, and he saw Jesus raise his daughter. She fell at Jesus' feet and told everybody what had happened. Um, Jairus, they were overcome with amazement. The woman, it says that she was healed, and Jesus said, go in peace. So what can we learn from these? As we're thinking again about this um, fear and faith, how do I live not in fear, but live in faith? Here's a few things that I think we can gain from um, these two events. First, whenever fear enters your life, it may be there for a while, or may have waves of fear that come up. But you have to keep on believing. Keep believing God's word. Keep believing his promises. Keep your spiritual eyes on him. Keep moving forward, walking with Jesus, as Jairus did. Now, you can picture this. Here he is. They said, your daughter's dead. But he keeps moving forward. He keeps believing Jesus. He said, fear not. Only believe. He's moving forward. As Jairus, as Jairus did, they continued towards his house. Can you imagine that fear wanted to rise up in Jairus as he approached his house? He can hear the mourners and their loud lament. He sees his wife probably overcome with emotion. But each step Jairus took, walking with Jesus, holding on to Jesus' words, do not fear, only believe, that was his faith in action. And that's what living in faith really is. Faith is action. It's believing. It's doing. It's moving forward. It's trusting God in the process, whatever that is that could cause fear in your life, whatever it might be, whether it's something outside of you, maybe it's something inside of you, whatever it might be, whatever the circumstances are, you have to keep moving forward in your faith. James said this way, faith without works is dead. Faith without you doing something, showing something. The, 
in that same passage, um, he said, you, James said, you show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works, by what I do, by how I respond. Um, one thing that I, I learned years and years ago, a, a pastor friend of mine had said this. I can't even remember the passage that he was preaching on, but I've never forgot this. He said, there's always a godly response. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how horrible the situation is. There's always a godly response. A godly response is, I'm going to trust you, Father. I'm going to trust you no matter what's happening. No matter what's going on around me, I'm going to trust you. Do not fear, only believe. Second, I found it interesting that the crowds were bumping into Jesus as they moved towards Jairus' house. But when Jesus asked, who touched me, they all denied it. But Jesus knew that someone touched him with a touch of faith. I think sometimes as Christians, we go through much of our spiritual lives just bumping into Jesus. What I mean is we're not very purposeful sometimes about what we do in our Christian life. Um, we're not purposeful when we gather together with other Christians, when we're reading the Bible, when we're here at church, when we're worshiping. Um, when we're in a prayer meeting, when we're serving in some way, we need to have in our mind that there's a purpose that I'm doing this. There was a purpose in that woman as she touched Jesus' garment. There was a purpose that she knew that Jesus could help her when nobody else could. She knew that Jesus could change her life and nobody else could. Everybody else was just bumping into Jesus. They had no thought about maybe Jesus could heal me. Maybe bumping into Jesus is going to help me in some way. They had no thought of that. The woman purposely touched, grabbed, grasped a hold of his garment because she knew that only Jesus could help her in that situation. So as Christians, we go through much of our spiritual life just bumping into Jesus. We bump into him at church, during worship, maybe in a prayer over a meal. We bump into him at Bible study or listening to Christian music. We bump into him reading our Bible once in a while. Uh, maybe we have fellowship with some Christian friends and his name might get mentioned. But in all those times, shouldn't our interaction with Jesus and his word and his people and our prayers and our worship be more purposeful? Um, shouldn't we be gathering when you come to church on Sunday morning, when you gather with Christian people at a Bible study or at Sunday school or wherever it might be, shouldn't we be gathering more expectation and anticipation of what God might do as we're gathering together with his people, listening to his word or worshiping together or whatever it might be. Shouldn't we feel like we reached out and touched him uh, by faith like the woman during those times? Remember, the woman kept speaking to herself. Another thing that a pastor friend of mine said one time was, 95% of our Christian life is lived between our ears. I want you to think about that for a second. 95% of our Christian life is lived between our ears. It's up here. It's what we think. It's how we think about things. And this has to be guided by what the Bible says, but by what the Word of God says, but by what God's promises are, etc. We Before we do something, we think about it. Before we react, we respond, we're supposed to think about it. 95% of our Christian life, she was speaking to herself. A spiritual Christian talks to themselves. Look at um, Ephesians where it says, be walking in the spirit, sp speaking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
you're speaking to yourself. You're reminding yourself of the truth of God's word. You're reminding yourself of God's promises. She was speaking to herself. Shouldn't we go away feeling like Jesus has changed us and experienced his peace like the woman when, she was, when he healed her? And here's something I want you to really think about. The everyday normal faith interactions we have with Jesus will prepare us for the out-of-control times that will surely come in our lives. The out-of-control times are the ones you cannot, you can't do anything about it. Mark couldn't change his circumstances. He could, he, there's nothing he could do. He couldn't heal himself. He couldn't take some meds. He couldn't take some anti-acids. He couldn't do anything. All this was out of his control. He had to trust God. He had to trust Jesus. He had to remember his promises. All those kind of things, and we all have to do that. But what prepares us for things like that and for things that you might have experienced, what prepares us is the everyday things that we do to trust God. In just the every normal, everyday life situations that come up, my faith interactions is what I call it. My faith interactions with God, the littlest things, whatever it might be. Sometimes things are in, in your control. Sometimes you can do, you know what, I need to start doing this, and that, that'll make a difference. Thanks, God, for reminding me of that. Some of, there's some of those where we can actually do something. But then there's those times when there's nothing we can do. We have to trust him. So how you respond in those things where you might be able to do something, where it's not a, a huge deal, but you need to trust God. As you do that more, then you'll be more prepared for the things that happen where it's out of your control and, and you can't do anything. You have to trust God. Lastly, the people in these events had these things in common. Their situation was outside of their control, right? There was a fierce storm. The man was demon-controlled. Um, the woman had a long-term sickness. Jairus' daughter died. That was out of his control. They did all they could, but they could not change their situation. They all experienced fear. The last three, the demon-controlled guy, Jarius, the woman, those three, the last three exercised faith in their situation. The demon-possessed man, the woman, Jarius, and D, the last one. The difference was humility. It's interesting, if you look back in the passage, you see that each one of those bowed before Jesus. They humbled themselves before God. Each one submitted their lives and their situation to Jesus and believed only he could make a difference when no one else could. That's living by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. We all have those things that happen daily in our lives, things that we need to trust you for, things that we need to adjust in our own lives as you point some things out as maybe we're not doing some things and it's causing some other things to take place. Um, those daily, those faith interactions that we have with you prepares us for those times that is outside of our control. When we get the diagnosis of cancer, when a family member dies, when there's a car accident, Whatever it might be, there's lots of those things, Father, that, that we all experience. But it's that everyday walking with the Lord Jesus Christ 
obeying your word, knowing you're in control, knowing that your timing's perfect, counting on your promises, all of those everyday life situations that we trust you in prepares us for those things that will surely come that um, we have no control over. I pray for your people today, Father. I pray you'd encourage them. I pray your spirit would use your word in each of our lives, mine included. I need it. We'd be reminded about how great you are, how good you are, how powerful you are, how kind you are, that you have a perfect plan for each one of your children. Father, what we need to do is we need to trust you. We could look back over our lives and we could see how faithful you've been to us. I pray that you would encourage your people today. We ask, Father, that in that we would live in such a way that we glorify you, we give a good opinion of who you are, and we live a life that says thank you for all that you've done. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.